Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before I introduce our guest today, I wanted to share a little bit about something that came up quite a bit this weekend um, or this last week. I actually flew to Atlanta to go to my daughter's wedding. Now, some people might say, you're insane. Why did you do that? Well, first off, it's my daughter, and it was her wedding. <laughs> so that's two reasons why I went. Um, but the, the key thing is, is a lot of people have asked me over the years that I have battled cancer, and I've been battling breast cancer for 24 years. And the last two of them have been with metastatic cancer. It's been just a constant battle since October of 2018 when I found out the cancer had spread to my lungs, and now it's in my bones and my liver as well. And so I've been battling this for a very long time. And when I talked to my doctor about going on this trip, you know, and the risk involved, I loved what he said to me. He says, you know, Becky, everything that you do put you at risk. He says, but some things are worth the risk. We don't know how much time I have. And with that, I can't give up opportunities to go and do things and be with my family. So all of my kids made it except my one son. I have a son who's a firefighter and he's actually in the town of Wenatchee, Washington. And they put out a fire. It took them many days to get it out and not one house burned down. And the entire town of Wenatchee was so happy they brought them all ice cream as a reward. So I guess that's pretty cool. But he wasn't there, but he was he was saving the planet, which I'm very happy about. But I will I do want to give a little plug to Delta. If you have to fly for any reason, you have to fly, um, do it consider Delta because I don't work for Delta. I don't know anyone who works for Delta. All I know is they're doing it right. They have absolutely hard and fast rules. You must wear a mask on the plane. They're not filling the middle seats. First class is only half full. They have a process to deplane that makes sense instead of everybody packing in the aisle. They've got this down. And unlike other airlines that my son flew out from L.A. um, on American, every single seat on the plane was full and he got stuck in the middle. And they actually, I think, merged flights to make that happen. So I'm very disappointed in American. I think that was really tacky. But Delta is doing it right. And I heard that Alaska is also doing it right. I don't know. I haven't flown them since all this started. But um, I just wanted to say that because, you know, one of the ways that I've gotten through this battle with cancer and a lot of people say how do you how do you do it well it's one goal at a time you know I look at what's next what's next what's right around the corner and the last thing was my daughter's wedding well in August my daughter and her family from Boston are flying out to see me and to spend two weeks with us and so that's my next goal that I'm looking forward to so I'm not making big plans down the road because that's not realistic to me I'm looking at little goals little little accomplishments that that mean something and that's that's the way I'm going through this and I'm also and I know you've heard me talk about staying in the light doing what I love this radio show is 
one of those things I love so much. And with that, part of why I love this show so much is because I get to bring on some incredible guests. And my guest today is Dr. Alex Spears. Dr. Spears is a naturopathic physician specializing in complementary and integrative medicine for patients with cancer. He graduated with honors, which is very cool, from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, where he earned a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and a master's in integrative medicine research. After graduation, Dr. Spears completed a two-year oncology-focused residency at Sage Cancer Care in Portland, Oregon, where he currently sees patients. Dr. Spears also works as a research associate at Oregon Health and Science University, otherwise known as OHSU, you might have heard of that, where he works on a team investigating various herbs. When Dr. Spears isn't working, he's taking his chihuahua Hank, (laughs) I love that, on long walks and camping with his wife, Mallory. Welcome, Dr. Spears. So glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Becky. I appreciate you having me on. Sure. Well, why don't you just take a minute and just tell us a little bit about you, just personally. I always like my, my, my audience to get to know the guests a little bit so that they have a sense of who you are. So maybe yeah, talk absolutely. about hobbies or whatever, whatever you want us to know. Yeah, so I'm originally from uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and my family and I have lived out here in Portland, Oregon for the last seven or eight years now. I came out here for naturopathic school, and so me and my wife, Mallory, who is a middle school science teacher, we live out here, and we, as you mentioned, we have our 13-year-old Chihuahua, Hank, and we also have three guinea pigs um, (laughs) because my wife decided that this would be the perfect school year to have a classroom pet. And I was anticipating they'd be at school the whole time, but then right. COVID hit. And now we've like dedicated, they have their own dedicated room in our basement. <laughs> so they have like acres and acres of space. So it's a, it's an interesting situation. I've never had guinea pigs before. Well, and and maybe you, she can take them to school next year. I mean, we, you know, I, I do want to applaud her for her work because I know that right now with the schools and everybody teaching from home and, you know, it's just, it's it's a crazy time in this world, isn't it? It is, and, and she's been amazing. She's been kind of redoing all of her lessons to make them digital and make them really interactive for kids, yeah. so I'm really proud of her. Well, I'm proud of her, too, so tell her that I think what she's doing is incredible. So so hats off to all the teachers out there and all the parents who suddenly became teachers. You know? <laughs> I'm glad my kids are all grown and gone. Because, I mean, not that they're gone. I'm glad that they're all grown because I don't know if I would have had the patience for that. But, but you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? So there you go. Um, so let's talk about what you do now. So tell us about the work that you're doing and what's that like. And Yeah, absolutely. So half of the time I'm at um, a clinic called Sage Cancer Care, and we're trying to be like a one-stop shop for patients who are seeking complementary and integrative medicine. So we have four naturopathic doctors on staff. We have an acupuncturist. We have a physical therapist. And so I see patients, well, now I see them digitally through telemedicine, but Mm -hmm. normally I would be seeing them at that clinic half the time. And then, um, as you mentioned, I work at OHSU as well, and we're researching two herbs, one of of which I think a lot of people may have heard of, ashwagandha, uh, which is a a very common Indian herb used for stress management. And then we're also investigating an herb called gotukola. And so the other half of my time I spend in a research lab. Um, so yesterday we were making botanical extracts from like the raw herb, which was pretty cool. That is cool. And, you know, I had that in your intro, but I didn't know how to pronounce them, so I took it out. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just I'm kind of gutless that way. You know, I don't want to go on and say it all wrong and completely make a fool of myself. So I figured you'd fill in the blanks there. So that was good. Now you you've been involved with Breast Friends too. You're doing. I think didn't you just do a, a recent uh, tele workshop, a Zoom kind of workshop with us, or that's coming up? Yeah, that, so that was last Saturday. Last um, Saturday, okay. I did a presentation on sleep and breast cancer, mm-hmm. and it was actually the third time I've done it. So back when I was a resident, we had breast friends come out to our clinic, and there were probably about 20 women there. And that was, as a resident, that was my first time getting to speak in front of uh, a patient group. So it was oh, a really great cool. experience for me. And cool. then I got to speak at your annual luncheon, and then this was the most recent time. So this this talk I'm giving is getting better and better every single time. That happens, you know, you get a little yeah. experience behind you and it, it kind of works that way. Well, and, I, and I've and i missed those because I was in Atlanta when you were doing the, the presentation. And last year when you were, when you spoke at the lunch and I missed that too, because I was back then, you know, I'm also a speaker and, and October is my very, very busy speaking month as well. So it's, you know, I, I missed it for that reason. But, um, but yeah, so I haven't had the pleasure yet of hearing you and I would like to very much do that so we'll have to figure out a way to maybe record some of these things and (laughs) and do them you know so we can have them available so um what prompted you Alex to get into this line of work that you're doing um so when I was in naturopathic school I would say in like my second year I was really drawn to oncology as a specialty mostly because of my interest in research Um, I've found that oncology is one of the specialties within naturopathic medicine where research is really important. Um, And the reason for that is because the majority of my patients obviously have a medical oncologist. So it's you're you're constantly communicating with a conventional team. So I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to be able to speak in their language, which is research. Um, But then in my third year, my dad, his cancer came back Mm -hmm. after about a seven year absence. Um, and he had a very interesting type of cancer is called ocular melanoma. So everyone's very familiar with melanoma, which, you know, mm-hmm. typically appears on the skin, but his first appeared in his eye. Um, and the, frankly, the only reason he was able to live as long as he did was because my wife at the time, she worked, or my what, my girlfriend at the time, now current wife, she worked at a uh, ophthalmologist's office. And so she encouraged him to come in. That was the doctor who found it. They took out his eye, and he probably got another extra seven years of life because of that. And then in 2016, he noticed a bump on his head. And as it turned out, his cancer had come back after this prolonged absence. And um, that next two years, my dad passed away about two years ago. Um, That next two years was very formative for me in terms of uh, really deciding this is what I want to do. This is the patient population I want to work with. You know, I traveled with him to MD Anderson when he was going through different clinical trials. We went to New York City together to do a Melanoma Research Foundation event, um, which was really cool. So it was actually a very good time of my life, those two years, um, even though he was sick through a lot of that. And I think that really shaped, you know, how I want to interact with patients and what patient population I really want to work with. Well, good for you. You know, it it often does. I think in order to really feel and and understand the 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 trauma that cancer patients go through, I think that it helps to have somebody or something someone in your life that has gone through that so you can really feel it. And I think when you take that that passion then and convert it to your life's work, I, I think that's where the magic happens, you know, when yeah. you can be when you're really passionate about what you do and what you love and there's a reason for it, 
you know, that's how I got into speaking was because of my cancer diagnosis. I always wanted to be a speaker, but I found out you need a subject. (laughs) (laughs) People don't want to just hear you stand up there and talk about whatever. I always love it when I meet people and they go, yeah, I'm a speaker. What do you talk about? Oh, anything. Okay, let's <laughs> let's narrow this down a little bit, you know. So, yeah, so being able to specialize in something because you have a passion for it is is really, I think, so so awesome. So, I want to ask you about the cancer patients that you work with. Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel that there's a significant demand for natural medicine? I mean, I know oncology is kind of the the thing that most people go to, you know, out of the shoot. But what, where does where does natural medicine fit in as far as your patients are concerned? What do, what are they looking for? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there is a significant demand, um, and that shows up in the literature. So if you go, you know, on PubMed, you can look up all these different surveys that have been coming out within the last ten years, and depending on which survey you look at, because sometimes they'll focus on a specific area of the country, but somewhere between 40 and 85% of patients with cancer use some form of what we call CAM, which is complementary and alternative medicine. And a lot of times, you know, someone might look at that and say, well, CAM is this giant umbrella. You know, CAM includes things like yoga or mindfulness, acupuncture, all these things that oncologists really don't have an issue with, you know. (laughs) No oncologist is going to be upset if their patient tells them, oh, I'm doing mindfulness. They're not really going to be worried about that. But when you get into the the details of these studies, what you often find is that dietary and herbal supplements are some of the most, or are one of the most common forms of CAM being used. So in one of these studies, I think it was something like 36% of the patients um, that they surveyed were actually using some form of dietary and herbal supplement during their treatment. And so then you get into the question of, well, who is overseeing this? You know, who is overseeing this patient taking these unknown herbal and dietary supplements during these treatments, which are obviously very strong treatments, often have a narrow therapeutic window. So you don't really mm-hmm. want to mess with them one way or the other. And so that's where I kind of see myself fitting in. Um, and that comes out of that demand. So, um, uh, okay, because I know that you know with certain with certain chemotherapy formulas that there's certain things you can't take and certain things that have a have a they're just counterproductive to what you're doing. And so it is very important that somebody's overseeing this and making sure you know that you're not kind of taking away the impact of the chemo that you might be on. So right. you're looking at ways to to just add to it and make it make it better so that you know and that we hear a lot of that so I know a lot of people that that do this and um, really go down that path so how do patients know about you and and come to you for guidance I mean what 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 is how what are you doing to make that happen so I've really focused on building relationships with conventional providers um, because I think one of the greatest things for a patient is to actually get referred to a naturopathic doctor from their conventional provider, um, because then I feel like the patient feels like they are building this um, integrative team, uh, and they don't feel like they're just having to search out all these individual practitioners on their own. So I've really made a point of, you know, whether it's going to tumor boards or going to journal clubs with conventional providers, doing whatever I can to meet them, allow them to feel comfortable with me. I've shadowed Mm -hmm. a bunch of providers to the point where they feel comfortable sending their patients to me. Even if they don't, even if we don't always agree on everything, they know that they, they know who I am and they trust that I'm going to keep their patients safe. That's, that's a good point. You know, and I, again, if they come, if the referral is coming from their oncologist, they are more likely to, to think, you know, feel 
confident in doing this. So that's that's really good. At what point in their in their journey do you find most patients actually reach out to you? Is it something that you see you see them from the beginning or is it something maybe a little bit later on if they're not getting the results that they want? When, when do they come to you? I would say most commonly I'm seeing patients after they've met with their conventional team, they've got a conventional plan in place, but they haven't necessarily started treatment yet. Okay. So they're in that in they're in that in-between window where maybe they're about to start chemotherapy or they're about to go into surgery and they come and see me right before then and then we kind of start the process there. But I've had patients who've shown up, you know, who are five years out from cancer and they're just oh. in the survivorship stage. I've also mm-hmm. had patients who maybe they just have a strong family history or maybe they have a genetic predisposition and they, they don't have any cancer, but they have a heightened risk for cancer. And sometimes those patients will come in. So it's kind of across the board, but most commonly right before treatment. And what are they seeking when they call you? I mean, are they looking for, what are they looking for when they call you? I would say most commonly um, patients are looking for help with side effects okay. as they go through treatment and just wanting to, um, wanting to have some, some strength as they go through treatment, wanting someone to support them on quality of life issues as they go through treatment. So okay. things like diet, sleep, anxiety, all these things that are kind of secondary to the main you know, treatment that is going on for cancer, but are still very, very important. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that you mentioned it even earlier about um, supplements, because I, I know that in naturopathic care, supplements is kind of a, a big part of, of what you guys do. And and I'm how important is quality of those supplements? Because, you know, you can go you could go to, to any store, Fred Meyer, Rite Aid, whatever, and you can buy a boatload of supplements. But how do you know? How do we as patients know which ones are good, bad, otherwise? How do we know? Right. And, and it is really important um, because there was a, a I, I don't know if it was a study, it was more of an investigation done by the New York uh, State District Attorney where they actually went into these big box stores, they pulled all these supplements off the shelf, and they actually did chemical analyses to see if what is on the bottle was actually in the bottle. And they found across the board that actually a very small percentage of these supplements contained the actual ingredients that were listed on the bottle. So supplement quality for me is really important because you need to know what is in the bottle that you're taking. I totally agree. So listen, we're going to go out to break. I know this first segment went pretty fast. When we come back, I would really like to focus maybe on some of the side effects that you help patients with. And maybe we can give our audience, our listeners, maybe some tips that they can that they can consider um, to help with some of those side effects. Does that sound all right? Yeah, that sounds great. Good. All right. We will be back in a minute. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. Before we bring our guest back on, I wanted to just mention to you that there are four ways for you to be involved in our radio show. Um, First is to, of course, share the link to this program. If you know anyone who is going through cancer right now and could benefit from any of the advice you hear on this show, share this link with them so that they can go in and listen to what you heard, too. And that's how we build our audience. And then make sure that when you download the episode on on a podcast that you subscribe to us so you can get um, notices of new shows that come as they come up. Another way you can help is by donating to this show so we can keep it alive and you can text breast friends to 41444 and give a donation in any amount. It is 2020. We've been here 20 years. So a $20 donation is really easy. And if everybody did a $20 donation, we could pay for this show for the next year. So um, consider a $20 donation. And that's the easiest way to do it is just text the word Breast friends, two words, to 41444. And then also we have a Facebook group called Breast Friends Around the Globe. Please go there, ask to join. I have to approve you and let you in, but that's like a piece of cake. So, um, And then introduce yourself to the group. Tell us you know, who you are and why you're listening and what maybe your favorite episodes are, whatever. It's just a good place to communicate. And then finally, if you have an interesting story, you've got something inspiring or educational or um, you know anything that you think our audience might enjoy hearing about, um, consider nominating yourself as a guest on the show. And you can do that by reaching out to Becky at breastfriends.org and let me know that, you've, that you're interested in being a guest on the show. We'll plan a call together and just kind of talk through what you might want to talk about. So with that, we are back to our guest, Dr. Alex Spears. So Dr. Spears, before the break, we said we would talk about side effects. And I know, because I've been through so much 
treatment in the many years I've been battling this, um, that there are side effects that come with different kinds of treatment. So what are some of the main ones that you find yourself helping with and how do you help with that? Yeah, I would say the most common ones um, that I'm routinely seeing would be things like anxiety, um, insomnia, fatigue, hot flashes, nausea, joint pain. Um, those are those are probably the big ones. Um, fear of peripheral neuropathy, so the, the numbness and tingling that can mm-hmm. be associated with some chemotherapy agents. Um, those those would probably like be the big ones. Okay, and let's talk about you hit me you hit my hot button here with insomnia. That it is hard sometimes to sleep, not only because of all this junk that's in our bodies, but just the worry and the, the anxiety that comes with with having this disease and wondering where it's going to go and, you know, all of that. And sometimes I find myself having a hard time getting to sleep and sleep is essential. So what do you, how do you advise your patients about sleep? What are, is there anything common that we can do Somebody could just listen to this show if they're in Ireland right now and they're listening and they can go home and they're having sleep problems. What can we tell that patient in Ireland who can't reach out to you as a naturopathic physician but needs that bit of advice? What can we do? Well, I think the biggest thing that I always emphasize to patients is that our sleep cycle is a 24-hour sleep-wake cycle. It's It's our circadian rhythm. And when we often, when we talk about what you can do for sleep, we often focus or overemphasize the one to two hours before we go to bed. But the reality is that you can strengthen that circadian rhythm at all different points of the day. So one of my, one of the new areas of research that I'm really getting interested in, there's been about four studies that have come out, come out in the past three years, is bright light therapy. So you, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, you've probably heard of bright light therapy because they're often referred to as happy lights mm-hmm. and they're used for seasonal affective disorder. But they are starting to do research for bright light therapy in patients with cancer to see if it can help improve fatigue and also sleep. And the way they think it works, so how it works is it's kind of like a light box that mimics natural outdoor light. And so they'll have patients use it for 10 to 30 minutes every morning and then they'll see if they're fatigue improves, we'll see if their sleep improves. And what they have found consistently across these studies is it does seem to help with fatigue. And the reason they think it helps is because it is essentially sending a signal to your brain every single morning. It's almost serving as an anchor point, telling your brain, this is the time I wake up. This is the time I wake up. So that your circadian rhythm is able to get back on track by having this anchor point every single morning. Um, so that's one of those things that's you know relatively low risk, although I will say it's not for every patient. So I would check with a healthcare professional before using one, um, but relatively low risk, relatively affordable for patients that they can try. And then I'm also talking to patients about lifestyle things during the day. So for instance, physical activity is so critically important, not just for recurrence risk or just overall risk of cancer, but also for sleep. So there's been a ton of new studies that have been coming out in the last few years about the effects of exercise on sleep. And the thing that I think is the most interesting is there was a systematic review, which means they looked at a ton of different studies. They looked at 15 different trials looking at the effect of various exercise interventions on sleep. They found that 11 of the 11 of the 15 studies showed sig- statistically significant improvements in sleeps including all five studies that looked at walking. And walking is like the most basic physical activity we can do. And oftentimes patients 
will almost like tell me that they're they're walking reluctantly, like it's not good enough. And I always want to tell them, no, walking is one of the best things you can do because there's actually a ton of research supporting walking for helping with various things, including stress and sleep. You know, I, and, and walking is so simple. I mean, for me, it's about as much exercise as I can do right now because one of my lungs has a lot of fluid built around mm-hmm. it. And I find it, I, if I try to run, <laughs> that's a joke, right. um, I can't, I really can't breathe very well. So walking is about as much as I can do, but I always feel better after I do it. It's like, do I really want to go? And then my husband and my dog talk me into it, and and out we go. And when I come back, I always feel better. So there's got to be something. But let me ask you something else. When you were talking about light therapy, mm-hmm. you know, I know that vitamin D is associated with sunlight. And here in the Northwest, you know, we have be- – like today is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Probably plenty of vitamin D out there today. But there's – normally there's not a lot of sun here. You know, we have – it's a very green right. state because it rains a lot, you know. Um, so how how do you what do you feel about vitamin D supplements for helping with it? Does it help with insomnia? They they say a lot of breast cancer patients are low in vitamin D. When you check their levels, they're low, and um, does they're not saying low vitamin lack of vitamin D causes cancer, but they do certainly find low levels in cancer patients. So can you right. connect the dots for us on that? Yeah, so I I will definitely say vitamin D is one of those labs that I am typically running on all of my patients if they don't already have a vitamin D lab. And it's twofold. One, what you brought up, that there are these observational studies showing that patients with cancer tend to have lower vitamin D or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. There are some studies showing that chemotherapy alone can actually decrease vitamin D or at least is associated with decreases in vitamin D. Um, But the second reason is, like you said, we live in the Pacific Northwest especially in the wintertime. We don't get a lot of sun. It abandons us. And so I would say over half of the patients that I check for vitamin D are low, meaning below 30 nanograms per milliliter. And so for those patients, I am wanting to supplement them. Um, Ideally, though, long term, I don't like keeping patients on super high doses of vitamin D. Um, There is some really interesting research that just come out that this was published in JAMA where they randomized a group of women who are postmenopausal to either 400 IUs, 4,000 IUs, or 10,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. And after a few years, they found kind of contrary to what they thought would happen that the women who were taking 10,000 IUs every single day actually had a decrease in their bone density in their tibia. Oh. Now, they don't know if that if this is was really the cause. They don't know if this high vitamin D was the cause. So they're doing, they're planning to do future studies. Um, but for me, it was one of those things like, uh, once I get patients in the normal range, I really want to just get them back to a normal maintenance mm-hmm. dose. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what my doctor did with me. You know, I was, mine was really low. So he put me on a pretty high, I think I was on 10,000 I use a day. And then we dropped back to just kind of a, a more normal amount. So if a person was going to try to self do this because they, don't have access or, you know, insurance or whatever. Is there a, a reasonable starting point just, you know, just in case you're low, but you don't know for sure? Is there a safe place to start? Because there's so many love, so many different, you know, quantities of this that you can buy. And I don't know which one is the safest one. Right. I, I would never advise starting a supplement, especially like that, without meeting with a healthcare professional first, um, especially in the case of vitamin D, because, just taking it without knowing what your levels are initially, you're not going to really know what you're doing. 
Um, because you mentioned that vitamin D could potentially help with some side effects. Um, that's possible, but generally I am not giving vitamin D because somebody is having poor sleep or okay. because they have a depressed mood. I mean, maybe it could potentially help with that, but I'm usually just giving it to try to get them up into normal levels. And luckily, a lot of vitamin D labs are relatively affordable. Um, so patients, even if they just can meet with like a primary care physician and just get it measured, it usually doesn't cost that much. And at least then you have a baseline to work with. Okay. And then you can know how much to take because it, it's yeah. hard to just tell someone because honestly, if you're super low and you're only taking like a thousand I use per day, it might not go up that significantly and you're kind of just wasting your time and money. Okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. And, and well, I mean, really with any like you just said, with any supplements that you're adding, if you're a cancer patient, you definitely want to make sure that you are um, being cared for and all of those decisions are made through, you know, through a, some kind of a medical provider. But I guess I, my question was more directed to the person who isn't um, a cancer patient, but they're just concerned about they live in the Northwest as well. <laughs> so they want right. to just take vitamin D just to make sure that they're getting enough, but they have no other illness. Uh, is there a safe level for those people to start? I mean, generally the recommendation is somewhere between like 400 IUs per day all the way up to maybe 2,000 IUs per day. Okay. Um, but even in those patients, I would say the best uh, path forward is to at least get a lab first to know where you stand. That's a good, because, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah, that's very good advice. So what do you see as your role in the world of oncology? Well, kind of like what I was talking earlier where we know there's this huge demand for natural medicine. Mm-hmm. We know that oncologists don't really, you know, they're not necessarily trained in natural medicine. So their first instinct is just to tell patients, like, don't take anything. But we know that patients are still doing it. In fact, if you look at some of this research, up to 60% of patients aren't even telling their oncologists what they're taking. So I look at what I do as kind of this safety net where I am trained in natural medicine. Mm-hmm. I'm trained in herb-drug interactions. I am the person that is there to allow that patient to safely explore the world of natural medicine without interfering with any of their conventional medications. And then moving beyond that, I'm looking at things like reducing or reducing side effects, improving quality of life, improving outcomes, all of these things that are kind of secondary in the world of oncology, because often in the world of oncology, all we're thinking about is survival and recurrence. And so I'm kind of the person that can focus on all those quality of life issues. You know, when you, I, um, when you were talking earlier about going to the medical conferences and places to meet with the, with the standard of, you know, standard of care providers um, and that you get referrals from them, it probably takes a little while to build that relationship, I'm guessing. What's the typical response you get from oncologists when you're working with one of their patients or wanting to reach out to one of their patients? How do they treat you? So it's different for each specialty. I will say that surgeons are by far the easiest to work with (laughs) for whatever reason. Surgeons are just natural uh, friends of of natural medicine providers. And I don't know why that is. Um, But all the surgeons I met out here in Portland tend to be very open to what I do. And then radiation oncologists are kind of in between. You know, it's, it's like as mm-hmm. long as you're not giving your patient antioxidants while they're going through radiation, they're usually okay with what you're doing. And it's the medical oncologists that are the ones that can be tough. And it makes sense because they're the ones that are prescribing these drugs right. um, that, right. again, are very strong. They have very narrow therapeutic windows. You don't want to mess with them too much. And those are the, those are the specialists where it really does sometimes take some time. 
and kind of showing them, and this is why my research background can be really helpful, because I can explain to them my approach using research. I can say, look at these studies. These are the studies I'm basing my recommendations on. These are the studies I want you to feel like, um, you know, I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. I'm actually basing this on, on published research that shows at the very least that there's safety, and then we're hoping to have some, you know, benefit on side effects or whatever it is. Well, that's, and that's, that's really great. I, I'm sure that they still have concerns, though. Do you know what, what are some of the biggest concerns? Are they concerned that whatever you're doing is going to hurt their patients? Or what, what do you feel? That, what, what's the pushback? Um, I think it's a, it's a spectrum of concerns. I think on one end, they're afraid that patients are going to go to naturopathic doctors and be talked out of oh. their conventional therapies. And I'm I'm sure that does exist. Um, You know, I kind of position myself as an integrative provider. So I do not offer alternative cancer treatments. And I let patients know that up front. You know, if patients are looking for that, I'm probably not the doctor for them. Um, But then on the other end, the big concern is, are what are the supplements that you're giving going to interfere with the drugs that I am giving? Right. Um, And that's why I make such a big focus of my practice, herb-drug interactions. You know, and and I just again, you just used the word alternative medicine because it is different than integrative. And, you know, that's something that in all the years I've been dealing with cancer, you know, I've come to recognize that pretty readily is that, you know, alternative medicine is not doing Western medicine. It's doing an alternative to it. And integrative is combining the two for the best outcome. And so what I'm hearing from you is that's that you you promote the integrative approach. Right. And that's why that. That, that's why that term CAM, complementary alternative mm-hmm. medicine, I despise that term because it makes no sense. It's describing two completely separate approaches yeah. to medicine. Um, it and so, is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I didn't. So I wrote lot. it down, but I didn't really put the two together. You're right. It says complementary right. and alternative. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and so the, the complementary therapies get lumped in with the alternative approaches in that sense, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, which now they're starting to use the term CIM, which isn't as catchy, but it stands for complementary and integrative medicine, which makes a lot more sense. Wonderful. Well, um, so we're going to go out to break here in just a minute. And when we come back, I would like you to talk to us about survivorship mode, because you said sometimes patients come to you, you know, five years out and they're just kind of in that survivorship place. And we uh, will talk about it when we come back from break. But I want to know a lot of people wonder what does what is survivorship? When are you a survivor? There's just so many questions around that. So when we come back from our break, let's talk about survivorship you know, mode, what does it mean to you? And what kind of treatment are people looking for at that point, you know, in their lives? And then we'll, we're down to our last little, little segment here. So, um, so with that, we're going to go ahead and go on out to break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Dr. Alex Spears about the role and benefits of integrative medicine as additional therapy to traditional oncology. And just before we went out to break, I asked you if you would speak to us about survivorship. And the reason I'm asking this is because a question comes up all the time from patients that we work with is, well, I don't feel like a survivor. When, you know, are, am I a survivor? I'm, I just got diagnosed. I'm still in treatment. When am I a survivor? And the way I feel about it, Alex, and I, I don't know if you agree with me. I'm assuming that you probably do. But to me, survivor, survivorship happens at the moment of your diagnosis. Those are going to be some of the worst things you're ever going to hear in your life is that you have cancer. Your life is going to change forever. You know this. And Sometimes it's really hard to imagine that moment, but if you have that moment, you survive that moment, you are already a survivor. And I don't yeah. know, do you feel, yeah. how do you feel about that? No, I, I completely agree with that. You know, I, I think that's a very good definition of survivorship um, that is going to work for a lot of patients and really empower them. Um, you know, obviously in, in the literature, they might discuss survivorship in a different way. You know, maybe it's when a patient is past treatment. But the, for me, survivorship means using this diagnosis of cancer and this experience of going through treatment as a jumping off point to living a healthier overall life. So maybe in the immediate term, you know, whether it's going through surgery or chemotherapy or radiation, that means focusing on, just on those treatments, reducing side effects, improving quality of life. But once we get past that, you know, I really want to start bringing in more of the diet and lifestyle aspects that are a part of an overall healthy lifestyle, um, where it's not just about supplements. Because honestly, and I tell patients this, I don't love supplements. I don't really want my patients to be on a ton of supplements long term. You know, especially when we move beyond treatment, I really want to help patients focus more on the things like diet and sleep and exercise to help them start building this healthy lifestyle after that diagnosis. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Another thing that I like to focus on when I'm working with patients too, and I mean, I'm not working with them from a medical perspective in any way, shape or form. To me, it's more, I'm, in fact, all of Breast Friends, this is what we do is we focus more on the emotional piece of what we're all dealing with and how do we get through this craziness and, you know, what are some of the things that we can do that are that go beyond anything to do with 
with, you know, the medical part of this. And, and as I mentioned in my opening, you know, so much of it is just dealing, like looking for me, looking at the, the little goals. Now, for me, because I'm metastatic, I'm not looking at long-term goals. I'm looking at short-term goals. And for me, this helps me with my survivorship because I have to just stay I have to stay healthy enough to get through that next goal, whatever that is, you know. Mm-hmm. And in this case recently, it was my daughter's wedding, which was quite lovely, by the way. Um, but there's just, I've got little goals like that. And I said to my husband when we came home, so what's my next goal I can focus on? And he goes, well, the kids are coming out in August to spend a couple weeks with us at the cabin. Oh, that's a good goal. Okay, so that's my next goal now. Now i got to stay healthy enough to do that. And And that's really what I'm looking for is just... You know, extending my life little bits at a time based on some of the goals. And having those goals helps me feel positive about something and gives me something to look forward to. And, you know, I don't know. Do do you connect with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so uh, hearing you say that reminded me, um, my dad, you know, when his last treatment failed, this was probably in like April 2017, Mm. he came home and we basically thought like dad's about to die. Everyone flew home. We were taking our final pictures together, you know, and uh, he started on hospice. And then for some reason, he just started getting better. And over the course of about a month to two months, he eventually was like, I guess I don't need hospice anymore. I feel pretty good. (laughs) And I love that. And I think part of it was that he knew these big milestones were coming up. So, for instance, this was in April 2017. I graduated in July of 2017. And so he went from we thought he was on death's door to him being able to fly out to Portland, Oregon and actually be there for my graduation. Mm -hmm. And then my sister had twins in August. And so that became his next thing. And so he had this amazing like six month period where all of a sudden it was like he didn't have cancer anymore. And he had a ton of quality of life. He was living life to its fullest. He was able to fly out, meet these, you know, brand new twins. And uh, it was just a really special time. And so I think that's really important for practitioners to recognize that goals are going to be different for every single patient. And that's why it's really important to spend time with patients and ask them, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this? What are you looking forward to? Um, You know, if you don't have things that you are looking forward to, what can we do? What, What kind of things can we put in place to kind of get this structure around there? I I love that, and I you know, and I I'm so happy that you shared that about your dad. That's that's wonderful. Do you have so? Do you have a sense like when he was in hospice, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he started getting better? Why was it because he had he had these specific things to look forward to, or was there something else that went on in his brain at that time? That I mean, I, I think the practical explanation would be maybe these failed treatments, because these were immunotherapy, and we do mm-hmm. know that with some types of immunotherapy, sometimes the benefits can kind of be delayed. So it's possible that even though he quote-unquote failed immunotherapy, it did have some beneficial effect about a month or two down the road. That's possible. Okay. Um, other than that, I don't really have an explanation, and we were all kind of <laughs> stunned. I mean, I can remember sitting with my mom in April 2017, and she was asking me, you know, be honest with me, how long do you think he has? And I was like, I think probably about a month. Like, And that was honestly me being optimistic. And then all of a sudden, he just lives, and he just keeps getting better. And he survived from April 2017 all the way to December of 2017. So we got all, I mean, over half a year to spend with my dad, the majority of that where he felt great. 
That's wonderful. You know, and, and sometimes that, that extension of life, sometimes it is just a, a few months like that. But we also hear stories about someone who's in hospice who comes out of it and their life expanded, you know, another six or seven years. So we, oh, you just, you, we just don't really know. And I mean, I, I've, I told my doctor that I never want to hear the words out of his mouth about how much time I have. And he said, well, that's great. He says, because we get that wrong all the time anyway. So, so he's not, not inclined to want to tell me because, you know, it probably will be wrong. But he did say to me that this is a good time for me while I can to spend time with family and friends and do those things that I love. And that's why he told me it was worth the risk going to the wedding. And, um, and, it's, and it so much was. And, you know, and I got to say, when I was at the wedding, because I made it to this goal, nobody at the wedding, they all knew that I had cancer because this was, the wedding was limited to just family and the wedding party. We kept it very small, but everybody there knew that I, that I'm facing metastatic cancer and I'm battling this with pretty much all I've got right now. Um, and nobody knew I was sick to look at me. Nobody. Yeah. I look perfectly healthy. My color is good. I've lost a bunch of weight. So that that's good and bad. <laughs> didn't lose it for the right reasons but I lost it and that helped that helps me feel better about myself um, but nobody could tell and it's because I think my heart was in that right place I met that goal is right there, there in front of me I'm doing this now and I think that there's just something and we've got to keep those things in in our focus so like what you guys did what is the next goal you know what is the next goal that that he can have you know um, right. I think that's that's really critical so Thank you for for supporting that position because I think it's I think it's good. So let me ask you this: What other kinds of integrative ther uh, providers do you work with in your practice? Uh, so we, like I mentioned, we have a physical therapist, acupuncturist. Um, I've definitely referred to counselors. I think counselors can be hugely important. You know, if I if I had my way, every single person who was diagnosed with cancer would meet with their oncologist and then immediately go to a counselor who specializes in that because I think having someone that is kind of an unbiased third party that you can just vent to throughout this entire process can be so critically important. And too few of my patients have that option. Mm, okay. And that that's actually probably a really good idea. I've met with therapists too. And, you know, they... I don't think everyone has to, but I think that there's just some underlying things that are really hard to talk to your family about. Right. You know, I know when I first was became metastatic, nobody wants to hear me say that I know my time is limited. No one wants to hear that. Oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be just be fine. And it actually kind of invalidates what I'm feeling. And so being able to share that with someone who isn't going to judge me for that comment, isn't going to... Th- see me as being negative you know right. I think that's that's important another thing is you know we have a breast friends has a metastatic support group on that we um, we have a page it's called metastatic warriors and it's breast friends metastatic warriors and anyone anywhere can join that that Facebook group and we do zoom calls and you can jump in on the zoom call and we can have those conversations and not be judged because we're all in the same boat, you know? Right. Um, so I think it's important. And if it's through a therapist or through a support group that, that specializes in metastatic patients, I think it's, I think it's, it's important. And I'm glad you recognize that need to have that, <clears throat> excuse me, be able to have those conversations because it's, I think it's critical. And, so. and I'm glad you brought up the idea of support because that is something that I ask every single patient about. How do you feel like your support network is? Do you feel like you have enough support? Mm-hmm. And the reason is not just because I think organizations like Breast Friends are really great for patients, 
but it actually is from the research. So, you know, they, they've done observational studies where they compare patients with breast cancer. If you take two patients with breast cancer who are exactly the same in terms of their diagnosis, but one has a larger social network than the other one, the one with the larger social network tends to do better overall. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I actually think like being a part of these types of organizations and having a really good social network is important for the entire picture not just to, you know, get you out and make some friends or something like that. No, I agree 100%. And, you know, we started Breast Friends 20 years ago, and that's kind of what we figured out is that there just was such at that point in time. Now, things have gotten better since then. I think we, I think we started something. <laughs> I like to take credit <laughs> for that. But I think that we, we did start something here in, in Portland. There just wasn't that much support 20 years ago where you could go and talk to people. I mean, you could go to support groups. Those have always been there. But they're usually run by medical professionals, which is, that's fine, except for they haven't, haven't had cancer. And what we're finding is that patients want to talk to someone who's been there, done that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think, think it's really key. And the other question that came up was, um, what is it that a metastatic support group can do that a regular support group can't do for me? And I was asked that yeah. very specifically because we have we have support groups for just women who are going through, I call it regular cancer. You know, it's going to be treated and probably go away. Um, and that's that's important, too. But the needs of a metastatic patient are a little bit different. Our issues are different. Our questions are different. And I think it's important that we have a, a group that can respond to that. And so and, and as you as you kind of have alluded to. We now live in an age where women with metastatic breast cancer are living longer than ever yes. um, because of new drug development. So having a metastatic support group makes more sense now than ever before. Um, so I, I think it's amazing that Breast Friends has that option for those patients. Good. Thank you. And so for those of you who missed it, go to Facebook, go to find your, just get on Facebook and search for Breast Friends Metastatic Warriors. You have to ask to join the group. And we will admit you, and we don't care where you're from. Um, it's a global thing because it's all everything is done on Zoom. But we would love to to have you join our group and be part of what we what we're talking about. So, so we're get, we're running out of time here. Um, so let me just ask you a really quick question um, about types of mind body therapies. Do you recommend to your patients? And you got to give me the one minute answer. Oh, okay. Well. You know, I'm one of those people that can't do sitting meditation. And I feel like sitting meditation is the thing that patients are most familiar with. So mm -hmm. one of my goals is to let patients know that there is a variety of activities that count as mind-body therapies. In fact, I tell patients, whatever that activity is that you can do for an hour and it feels like time just flew by in five minutes, that I would consider a mind-body therapy. Anything that kind of gets you in that Zen state. So for my patients who love crocheting or knitting, I say treat that as your mind-body therapy. Mm, Use that as okay. something you can do every day, even though you just think of it as a hobby. But I know that it puts you in kind of that singular focused mind state um, that is so good for helping to activate our relaxation response. Wonderful. Well, we are out of time. I'm so sorry. So tell us um, how people can reach you, Alex, if they want to learn more about your specific practice or if they just have a question about something you've talked about today. Is there a way they can reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find our clinic online at sagecancercare.com. Uh, my website is ndoncology.com. So ndoncology.com. And then also I'm on Instagram uh, at nd.oncology. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving your time to us today. Um, this has been a great interview. You've done a wonderful job. You've kind of filled in some blanks for us that, you know, I think people may have been confused about what integrative medicine is. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. It wasn't easy to find a date that worked for us. So, so thank oh, you for that. We will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.